G'day guys, welcome to another Guitar Wank podcast. Thank you for joining us. I am your host, Troy McCubbin. You have no choice. Thank you for joining us for this episode 166. We get back to the music, get back to what we do. We did get a little sidetracked, yes. I know uh, we had an email that uh, someone said that we're kissing the beer guy's ass. Damn right we were. We were definitely kissing his ass. Are you crazy? That's what we were doing for booze. Uh, actually, as much as we uh, talk about the booze and all on, on this show, we actually don't drink a lot. I think I had uh, probably a total of one beer through that whole last episode. Um, yeah, we actually don't really drink a lot. It's more joking around. But anyway, we uh, you, I do enjoy a little drop, but uh, mate, you get older, it goes straight to the gut, as you know. And then it's just too hard to work it off. So, uh, yeah, drinking days are kind of, they're not as big as they used to be. But anyway, back to uh, Guitar Wank. We have the Quilter guys with us today. They're going to introduce themselves and tell you what's going on with them. And then we are going to be giving away a mini Quilter reverb amp. Uh, This thing weighs nothing. I mean, you can throw it in your laptop bag and then you have a full ridiculously powerful clean amp anywhere you want to go just plug it into anything and away you go so uh we're going to be giving one of those away uh to all patreon members and if you're like oh man i'm not part of patreon well you can go to patreon by easily going patreon.com slash guitar wank check it out there or go to guitarwank.com and uh click the side tab up the top that says Patreon, you can go there and check it out uh, and be a part of it. And then you will be in the draw. And it's really a great pl- thing to do because you, we're going to be continuously giving prizes away uh, and free content. Bruce is going to be doing another video soon and just giving a lot more away to those members that, that support Guitar Wank this way. Why, you ask? Because we are. We're giving away all these amazing pedals. We've got uh, two pedals that will be going out to the winners today. They're finally going out to, uh, I think it was Tim and Bill, if I remember. Or Tom. No, it was Tim. It was Tom. Tom Frazier and Bill Miller. Your pedals will be out today, guys. Um, And uh, the picks have been sent. I think there's a couple of international ones we're going to send out. Uh, but anyway, that's all going out. But if you are a Patreon member, you're going to be up for these amazing, amazing prizes. The Quilter Amp, like I said. And also, uh, we're going to be giving away a Wireworld cable gift pack. I mean, this is close to like 500 bucks worth of cables with Wireworld so awesomely has given us. So, uh, you know, make sure you go to their website, check them out, Wireworld Pro Audio Cables. David and Larry look after us so much and I, I love their products. They make great cables and uh, they're really doing amazing things over there. So a gift pack from them we'll be giving out the, uh, the quilter. We have, I believe, another pedal from um, Left Coast Workshop. Thanks, Jim. We've got another one of those to give away. So we've still got a bunch of pedals and gear to give away as well as um, Guitar Wank merch. Fender merch and some other stuff we have that we need to get rid of and get out to you guys. So go to Patreon, uh, become a member, support that. That will help 
all of us and definitely help you in getting prizes and extra content that you can't get just anywhere. Uh, other than that, Bruce is going to be into, into New York. He's going to go into New York and uh, perform. So make sure you check uh, his website, uh, the Facebook site, other websites. I think it's May, I've said it before, May something. Coming up to May. The end of the, yeah, he's going to be there soon. He's going to be playing at Dizzy's, so make sure you go check him out, catch up with him, have a beer with Bruce. He'd love that. Also, Bruce and Danielle D'Andrea are going to be in Australia uh, the last week. Oh, the middle of June. Actually, the middle of June for about two, three weeks in Australia. If you have a house concert you want to put together or a concert at your music store or anything like that with Bruce and Danielle or a workshop, reach out. We'll make it happen and uh, organize all that. So uh, without further ado, let's get into uh, <laughs> Techie Amp Crazy Solder Sniffer World <laughs> with, with Pat Quilter and, uh, and James. And we'll, uh, we'll let them do all the talking, and we will see you all next week. Uh, big shout out to Mr. Lukatha, who uh, uh, has been corresponding. Uh, we'll catch up soon, sir. Hope you are doing well in Japan. He's probably getting close to being back now. Big shout out to my other mates over in uh, China. Yeah, in China, I should say. Uh, all, all our listeners over there. We've got a bunch of listeners down there. So, uh, all right, let's get into it. Pat Quilter, sit back and see if you can keep your techie hats on for this one. Uh, and Bruce is Dumble. I've been managing, managing, able to play that because he left it here. And I have to say, it is an amazing amplifier and I wish you all could play it. It sounds really, really good. Mr. Dumble, you did an amazing job. I think you should come on the show and talk about what you actually did to it. Yeah, right. Like, that's going to happen. <laughs> all right, guys. We'll talk to you all next week. Uh, leave us emails at guitarwank at uh, gmail.com. Go to our website, guitarwank.com. You can buy caps and mugs. No, you can buy caps at the moment. We don't have mugs. We're getting mugs. And uh, T-shirts, we're running... I think we've got extra-large T-shirts left. So we're waiting for restocking everything. All right, have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Like I thought, I thought my only way in was going to be marrying a woman who owned a liquor store, but now I found another <laughs> way in. You know? They do Brother Thelonious, right? Yeah, and Scrimshaw. I don't know if I've had Scrimshaw. Oh, it's great. It's like, I think, the best Pilsner Okay. there, you know. It's they, really good. They do Old Rasputin, too, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Dude. They have great beer. Well, we got a bunch right here in a, in a cooler in the swimming pool, actually. <laughs> we're, we're, we're very, you know environmentally conscious we don't use refrigerators we just use a swimming pool <laughs> it's nature's way yeah <laughs> it is nature's way um all right we're ready
Really? Okay. That, and that I'm, quick? I'm hooked up. Check, 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 check. Oh, yeah. I'm okay. on silent. Make sure this oh, uh, doesn't oh, do anything I mean, we've already started. Silly. Really? Yeah, we're, this we're, is not we're really loose. We don't have okay. like a cold start. We just sort of <laughs> Actually, just we'll, dive right we on dive in. in. But yeah, we, as we were talking today, even though people have already gotten the one we put out today, one came out today announcing what we're talking about. Okay. But this is the official day that I am announced. Wow. As the okay. Poet Laureate. So we'll be drinking beer and... Uh, well, there you go. I'm, I'm celebrating today. You know? As a, you should. He's a poet and he doesn't know it. There you go. Well, and <laughs> pretty, pretty sure everybody else will not know it. Or know it not. It's like that's what a uh, guitar wank really wanted was just really a, a beer, beer sponsor. In the- we're, now we're like Major League Baseball or the football. National I didn't realize. Football. I wonder if you're the first podcast to have officially have a beer sponsor. Uh, I bet the first guitar one for sure. Huh. That seems cool. like it would have been old hat by now. Right? You think so, right? You know? Well, normally we drink whiskey or scotch. Right, but we've switched to beer now. We've switched to beer. Mm. So we might be running a little I bit I wonder more. what effect that will have. <laughs> this is a scientific experiment on what effect it will have on the podcast. Mm-hmm. You do have a good sampling of uh, 100-something episodes already. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> this is this good to compare. This is 65, I think. Yeah. Wow. Maybe. Wow. Yeah. So anyways, we should tell everybody who's on the show. Yeah, no, just <laughs> let's leave them guessing the oh, whole okay, show. Yes. Now, Bruce, do the introduction. Can I, can I do it today? Yeah, you can. Wow, this is really a big day. He doesn't usually let me do this. Well, I mean, this is your job now is talking. We have <laughs> Peter Melton and Pat Quilter of Qu- Quilter Amplifiers. Quilter Labs. Yeah. Quilter Labs. And um, I'm so excited to have you guys. It's I've great to be you guys here. for a while and been playing your stuff and... This is just great. To hear, I want to hear the story from you guys. I could tell it, but you know I'm a poet laureate, so I'll make it up. You know? <laughs> and and your version will be almost as authentic as ours. <laughs> I do have to say, at the NAM this year, you win the you won the best dressed award. Um, I have my moments, yeah. but uh, remnants of my uh, mountain man career as sort of my one of my midlife crisis okay. activities. Okay, so that was post. Uh, electronics. Yeah. Well, I mean, I you know I kept up my day job during all that, but uh-huh. uh, but I would run off on the weekends. I actually got to help a guy down in San Diego build an authentic log cabin. Whoa! So every weekend I'd go down. Every other weekend I'd go down there, and we'd notch and and you know hew out and lay about one more course of logs a weekend. And wow. uh, in the course of a year and a half or so, we had it all the way up to the rafters and uh, built a little adjacent structure and kind of made little paths and one. I was sort of for this little homegrown museum uh, uh, kind of honoring one of the old time residents that lived in uh, Desconso. I don't know if you're familiar with the I-8 going out of San Diego, but you go up past Alpine and then you get to the turnoff to Julian. Oh, I know where that and, is. Yeah. Okay, well if you go the other way you go past the Granville Martin Ranch, uh, which uh, Granny Martin, as they called him, was the last of the California vaqueros. Uh, he died in his late early 90s, um, just before I actually started on this project. So I never actually met him in person. So that would have been around 1990, uh, no, 93, 94. Uh, so you know, he went back to the turn of the century and remembers, you know, herding cattle as a vaquero with the other Californios and, mm-hmm. you know, riding with a greasy sack outfit, as he called it, in, uh, <laughs> in the 20s and 30s when, yeah. you know, they'd go out with the chuck wagon and all the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. So uh, 
So uh, he was one of the uh, graybeards that were brought into this uh, mountain man group uh, as someone who actually knew how to do this stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and so that was interesting. Oh, um, sounds exciting. It's, it's a, a bit of a stretch from building an amplifier, I would Well, think. it, it, it uh, <laughs> changes your outlook, you know. I mean, gives you something else to occupy the mind. But, uh, you know, primitive skills, whatever, you know, er, whatever, you know, level you're into it, you know, it's a lot of problem-solving stuff. It's just a different kind of problem, and you, generally you get results more quickly or not. But, <laughs> you know, there's not, you know, uh, electronic projects tend to be something you work on for a year and it's finally done and then there's three more problems you got to fix and then it's really done and you know finally it reaches the market and you hope it goes over well uh, whereas you know you know mountain man stuff uh, you know if you're cold and you can get a fire going now you're warm everything's <laughs> everything's very direct yeah right right I mean it's hard to use like an, a hatchet when building an amplifier I see um, uh, although I do remember one episode with, <laughs> with uh, wire cutters and a live AC cord that I forgot to unplug. Oh, <laughs> oh that sounds exciting. Now, Pat, what's what's your background? Like, I, I don't know a lot about you per se. Like, where, where did you grow up? Are you a California? Um, my pop was a marine aviator. Right. Uh, so we were moved every couple of years. Right. So I got to live in many different places in the country. We, you know, we did spend uh, several couple of tours in my formative years uh, at El Toro near Laguna Beach. Right. So, uh, so California is as close to a native state as I would, as I would say. And, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, moving around as as we did from the East Coast to the West Coast and back again, we you know, we learned all about road trips and, uh, but. Uh, you know, he was, as an aviator, you know, uh, and as a, a graduate in the 30s from a, you know, he took an engineering degree along with his officer training. And, you know, um, in those days, it was one way to finance your college was to, you know, enlist in the officer corps. And then they kind of pay for your degree mm -hmm. and you'd go on and do your service. So yeah. he served during World War II in the South Pacific with wow. the other Marines. And, uh, um and then continued on, uh, uh, you know, and uh, as a colonel for a long time. And he he made it to a two-star general and uh, wow. commanded the Third Marine Air Wing at El Toro the second time we moved to California in the late '60s. Yeah. So oh, I've been what here a great ever time since. To be here, huh? Well, it was pretty cool, <laughs> and of course that was a moment in music, which will probably be you know, you know, a hundred-year unique thing where everything changed very dramatically in a period of just a few years and uh, you know I just remember well going through high school which happened to be in Honolulu he was stationed at Pearl Harbor before we went back to California um, so I'm going through high school and listening to stuff on the radio in 61 62 and it was just the worst drack you know all this pop sludge you know <laughs> and I mean I knew it was bad at the time although I was as much of a weenie nerd as you could ask for but i mean it's just like oh just kill me now you know and, you know <laughs> you know uh, just all this overproduced uh, you know uh boy tenor stuff you know uh that the names have been etched off my mind you know <laughs> um and then out of nowhere came the beach boys Ki a bunch of kids 
with voices still breaking, uh, singing fun songs about stuff we like to do as kids, surfing right. and playing jangly Fender guitars with reverb turned up. And, and it was all it just such fun. And it was like this total breath of fresh air. And, you know, no sooner had we gotten over that than, the, you know, the Beatles and the British invasion set in. So there was this, you know, within the space of a year, all of that old, you know, Tin Pan Alley brill building stuff was swept away in favor of singer-songwriters who were, you know, composing and singing, performing their own stuff yeah. in front of, you know, adoring audiences. And, of course, along with, you know, the music was all the equipment, you know. So we had, you know, I mean, at the beginning of this era, you know, I mean, you know, there wasn't hardly any idea of what a good PA system was like, but... You know, these big acts, they had Fender Dual Showmans and um, Super Beetle amplifiers, you know, with 120 watts <laughs> and, you know, blowing the doors off the Rendezvous Ballroom with Dick Dale and, you know, his crowd in, uh, in Balboa Island. And, uh, you know, just milking this whole thing of kind of turning rock and roll into rock. And then, of course, uh, various things happen which aren't as illegal as they used to be <laughs> and you know uh things changed again and uh um you know we all started smoking dope and turning on and getting into you know how far can we take this and you know within the span of you know a very few years the electric guitar and it was pretty much run out to its full potential in the hands of people like hendrix and clapton and um you know they uh you know, they just pushed it about as, I mean, people have, you know, filled in some of the blanks since then. But, yeah. you know, when you think about it, it was all being pretty much, you know, shown the way it had been shown by the you know, right. early 70s. What, what were you doing at this time? What, what? So my younger brother was an right. uh, aspiring musician uh, and he had a cheap Japanese guitar and amplifier set that my pop brought him in when coming back from Iwakuni when it, uh and a previous tour of duty. Yeah. And uh, and meanwhile, I'd been going to college, and uh, I was obviously going to my the high school physics class was my favorite class in Honolulu, and it, and frankly, I learned everything I needed to get started in audio when in when I they had a, like a week on electronics. You know, what a what is a resistor? You know, what does a capacitor do? And I filed this all away thinking, well, that's interesting, but I didn't do much with it until I was in college where I bit started flunking my mechanical engineering class because I started getting interested in audio. So um, I was, you know, fixing old radios and, you know, figuring out how to get some sound out of it. And then I wanted it to sound better. So I started, you know, figuring out how tone controls worked and all that. And by the end of this period, in around 67, I'd actually managed to build from scratch using some car stereo schematics as a guide, uh, kind of a primitive boombox. I had a <laughs> six by nine speaker, about a five watt amplifier, a little tiny reel-to-reel -reel tape deck that uh, I got for Christmas or something that I could, you know, that played music creditably well. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and, and an AM tuner that you could get at the Lafayette Electronics. And uh, so I had, uh, you know, this little entertainment center and it's something about the size of an average boombox. And, I, you know, I was happy as a clam. Uh, 
my grades weren't that happy. Uh, so <laughs> we ended up, I ended up having to come out to California and rejoin the family after my uh, uh, two and a half years at Rochester in New York. And, uh, but I kept up with the audio stuff because now I was getting interested in the music. And my younger brother was starting a high school band. Right. And we went shopping with his bass player one day and, you know, looking at, he'd been saving his nickels and dimes. And so we went to the local music store and, you know, started pricing amplifiers. Well, his, he, what he really wanted was a Vox Super Beetle with bass speakers, uh, you know, 412s, 120 watts, <laughs> solid state, none of this you know, old fashioned tube stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and, but it was $1,200, you know, and wow. think about it. That's like seven grand in today's money. <laughs> I mean, and he'd saved up $250, which, you know, was pretty good money. Yeah. Um, so, well, you know, this is cool, but it's, you know, it's, it's more than I can spend. Well, well, we could sell you this Fender basement. It's only 50 Watts has two twelves. And uh, yeah, it's not as advanced. It still has tubes in it. And, uh, <laughs> and we, well, how much is that? Well, that'd be four ninety nine. Well, I haven't got that. And, well, what do you have? Well, I've saved up two hundred and fifty. Oh, let me think. Well, I got this used Silvertone amp. I could sell you for that. <laughs> but my friend had done his research. And he said, "But I could go buy a new one of those for one seventy nine if I wanted one." <laughs> and so we stormed out of there in high dudgeon. And I said, well, gee, you know, I think I could build you something for $250. I know the parts would be cost less than that. Yeah. Uh, why don't you let me take a crack at it? And well, he said, you, well, you know, you go, guy. And we had to do everything over twice before it really worked. But I still added it all up at the end and convinced myself I'd made three cents an hour on the project. <laughs> but we had a base amp with 100 watts and 412s. Wow. And we even made the sides of the head slant in like the Vox Super Beetle. So, you know, we were, you know, right up there with it. And uh, that amp, he played that amp for several years. Um, and I think we ran through more than one set of speakers. But, yeah. but it basically, you know, did perform. It was crude, but it put out. So uh, summer of 68 rolls around. And I said, well, you know, rather than taking you know, one of those classic teenage jobs, you know, washing cars or, you know, working in a restaurant, you know, I'll make several more of those. Now that I know how to do it once, I can double my money on each one, you know, right. make a few hundred bucks that way. Um, but the first thing that kind of got in the way was I couldn't get the germanium transistors I had used on the first one. They, they went out of production. And so I had to uh, change the design to do silicon which was good because they were, it could actually double the power. Um, so I doubled the power, well, and it took me years before I figured out how to stop them from blowing up. But, uh, but you know, next thing I knew, I was renting a little shop in uh, the low rent side of Costa Mesa and gathering friends together. And we, we had an operation going, Quilter Sound Company, and we were going to take over the world with giant guitar amps. <laughs> and there was a moment where that could have happened. Right. Now, right around 68, 69, you know, uh, everyone thought Marshalls were awesome, but they you'd be lucky if they made it through one night. And, you know, everybody, you know, all the the custom tuck and roll solid state amps and the Vox Super Beetle and all that, you know, the Voxes weren't actually very reliable. The customs were, but they didn't sound good. You couldn't crank them up. They just 
gagged and choked and it played okay clean, but they had no overdrive. Right. And those uh, acoustic 260 amps with the built-in horn driver and two Altec 15s, another amp that, you know, gave Solid State a bad name. Again, you know, massive clean tone and, you know, just the worst piercing breakup when you <laughs> pushed them to the point of overdrive, which they didn't have much of anyway, because who wants to play with distortion, you know? Right. Uh, so... You know, I thought I had a shot at making a solid state amp that would have some, you know, some some, you know, rock creden rock credentials to it. Yeah. And we almost got there, but by the time we kind of had our feet on the ground, now it's early '70s. Uh, PV had rolled into town, uh, retailing amps at prices we couldn't match at wholesale. Wow. And um, and uh, you know, and they they were a little bit crude and kind of ugly looking, but they played and they were loud and they they didn't skimp on material so you know they they you know they worked pretty good for at least the for you know the first few years yeah um and you know so the and then you know the other you know mesa boogie just kind of came in and sort of invented the hopped up 112 amp hot rotted single 12 and we're going to town with that at what seemed like ridiculous prices but they were getting it and uh, we had to kind of take a serious look at where we were and realizing, uh, you know, it's we kind of missed the boat, you know, to become a brand name. Marshall had figured out their reliability problems and, you know, they were now the go-to brand for hard rock and, um, and you know, Fender had, you know, had kind of fallen by the wayside because the amps were just a little too clean. But if you plug a Les Paul into like a, twin or a showman it would rock out and yeah and you know although they wandered off into the weeds very badly with some poorly done solid state stuff you know their classic you know all american tube designs you know were still in there you know pitching and you know and of course the blues players were getting a great sound through like a super reverb or something still one of the you know great tube uh, blues amps of all time yeah so uh, we just had to say, you know, we've missed the boat here. And, uh, and plus, it wasn't obvious that guitar was even going to go the distance. The synthesizers were coming in. And uh, right. it seemed like everyone had kind of run the guitar as far as it would go. And Hendrix had keeled over. And, you know, um, you know um, Jim Morrison, you know, um, you know, OD'd. And, you know, it was, um, it just looked like maybe we're, this had run its course. So. Right. We took a deep breath and turned into QSC Audio and decided to make power amps on the theory that, you know, power amps are supposed to be, you know, just a neutral appliance. You could sell them on paper. You know, one of the problems as a small guitar amp company is, you know, people want to play your stuff before they buy it. Right. And we had no distribution. We were just this ratty little company in Costa Mesa. And uh, so, you know, you could show that you could present the amp and say you know we got this cool little amp that does this or that well yeah but the dealers don't there's there isn't any at the dealer and i don't i'm not going to buy it sight unseen so but a power amp you know well 150 watts you know 300 dollars. well why not you know right and you kind of you didn't really you know we had a reputation for delivering honest goods and with that and uh, you know we slowly built the lineup we we became a powerhouse and in power amps, not to coin a phrase, and uh, and you know, 
that carried QSC through the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So you, you guys went full on PAs then? Right. right. Left the, the guitar amp behind. In yep. fact, we kind of, for a long time, we didn't really want to admit that we came from a guitar amp background because it, it you know, among the pro audio community, that was sort of a, you know, and, you know, a detriment, you know, <laughs> um, and um, so, uh, but, you know, the pro audio business, of course, is much bigger than the guitar amp business, yeah, yep. and so yeah. QSC Tenfold. forged ahead one step at a time. And So it's like then it went into mixers and speakers? And uh, not for a long time, but eventually, yes, all that had to happen is the, see, for about 20-some years, in the 70s and 80s, and into the 90s it was the era of specialists so you had mixer companies and you had speaker companies and you had amp companies uh -huh. and people who put systems together kind of made it their business to cherry pick you know what they thought was the best combination of ingredients and so you know they'd put you together a pa with you know like a you know eaw speakers and qsc power amps and uh you know and somebody's mixer you know maybe you know a tapco early greg mackey stuff you know and um you know and that was kind of what they did was you know you know sort of shop for you if you will and you could go to a music store and put a system together on that basis and you know we all we our power amps were you know competitively priced and you know and were reliable and played well one thing i always insisted on in my designs is you know if you're going to push them to clipping they've still got to hold together you mm -hmm. know they're going to rock out and yeah. i wanted them to you know make sure they would play well and hold up under that kind of use so you know that you know kind of kept us honest if you will right and uh <clears throat> and then as the you know years wore on of course, the speaker companies started thinking about doing amps, and the amp companies started thinking about speakers, and powered speakers became a thing, which kind of blended the two together. So QSC, of course, <coughs> did see the need to uh, branch out into digital processing and yeah. loudspeakers and so forth. But by then, we were well, you know, capitalized enough to, you know, invest the money and go the distance and become a player in those areas as well. Right. But, you know, spring would come around and the sap would rise and I would say, you know, I never really finished what I wanted to do in guitar amps, which is kind of what got me into this whole thing in the first place. And uh, so uh, 2011, uh, you know, it was uh, I'd been doing power amps for something like, you know, 40 some years. And I just sort of said, you know, um, you know, I, it was time to let some of the new guys do their thing, and uh, we'd been uh, grooming our replacements in the in company management for some years. Uh, so, you know, we tried to do things logically and, you know, make sure that QSC had continuity and that it wouldn't, you know, kind of keel over when us three original partners <laughs> finally, you know, uh, took a well-earned retirement. Right. And uh, so... Imagine my surprise to find out, because I'm a bit of an amateur musician, that there were still no nice, warm, tube-like sounding solid-state amps out there. And, you know, tubes themselves aren't really what they used to be. I mean, 
Back in the day, you could get six L6s for three bucks at any drugstore, and that was, you know, like high retail price. If you wanted to save money, you could go to an electronics store and get them for, I don't know, buck seventy or something. And, you know, RCA made color TVs that had, you know, dozens of tubes in them, so, and they wanted the color TVs to play for 10 years without giving trouble. So the tubes were really good. Right. And, you know, since they got, you know, the demand fell off and they're only being made in small shops now, you know, they're just not as good. They, you know, it's a skill and it's uh, harder and harder to find really good tubes like you could routinely get in the old days. So that and, you know, and the fact that, you know, I mean, the technology just, you can always add a twist or a new tone circuit or something, but basically it went as far as it was going to go in the 50s and 60s. And, you know, the basic tube circuits were, you know, pretty much optimized, and you're, you know, your transformers haven't changed, and you know.
capacitors have gotten a little smaller, but they were never a big part of the. They weren't a big deal anyway. Yeah. So I so I said, well, gee whiz, I guess I should give it a try, and uh, so here we are. So we, did you set out to make to keep it small? Was that? Well, I figured, you know, if we're one thing that was obvious then and is obvious now, the world doesn't need another crappy guitar amp. Right. It doesn't really even need a decent guitar amp. <laughs> and the market's flooded with them. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, we know so much more about tone these days than, you know, was barely hinted at in the 60s. I mean, you know, pioneers like Leo Fender sort of came up with charmingly simple tone circuits, which I'm convinced were designed that way primarily for economy and ease of construction, but it turned out they played well mm -hmm. and they sounded good. So the tone stack as we now know it was kind of born and had that kind of bright chimey tone, the mid scoop and a nice boomsy bass that, you know, turned out to play very well with the natural properties of the magnetic pickup, which was another one of those happy accidents that changed the course of electric guitars. Um, um, when you think about it, when they started thinking about making guitars louder after the radio became a thing in the 20s and, you know, power amps, movie theaters and whatnot were now kind of a known thing, you know, they had two choices. They could have used a crystal pickup or they could have used a magnetic pickup. And the crystal pickups, which they, the crystal, piezo crystals they had at the time were, um, they were not stable against moisture. If you left, there's a, a Rochelle salt. Mm -hmm. It's a funny looking crystal with an odd shape, but it melts. And if you leave it out, it soaks up water and just slowly melts. And you could try to seal it with tar or something, but you, you never really know. So it was pretty obvious that the tr thing was that you had to wind a zillion turns of wire around a magnetic, around a magnet and do your pickup that way. Well, you know, if they had had a stable piezo crystal, we never would have had the electric guitar because <laughs> what you would have had would be sound like a modern amplified acoustic guitar. And they don't sound good in overdrive. Yeah. And then they just would have had louder guitars and that would have been it. But the rounded tone of a, of a magnetic pickup guitar, which I'm sure traditional guitar players at the time said, well, it doesn't even sound like a guitar. <laughs> but people like Charlie Christian, who just wanted to make music, picked it up and said, yeah, but it sounds like a, you know, a clarinet or something. I can, I can play hot lead on this thing and, and, uh, and fat chords and, you know, kind of get a new style going. And, you know, that, when you combine that with the tendency to push the inadequate little amplifiers a little more than they were meant to go, you know, developed a sound which even in the 30s uh, with like Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys, you listen to those old recordings even when they did them in the studio and they didn't have to be that loud. They were milking the amps. They were pushing it. Yeah, they yeah. were. That was, you could tell it's just part of their sound. Um, so all of that conspired, you know, to bring around the guitar and amplifier combination as, as we know it. And uh, now I have to say I've completely forgotten what question you asked to get me <laughs> off on this. But <laughs> and why, like, did you make a conscious decision just to go small, to go oh, compact? Yeah. Well, of course, because yeah. that was the one thing you can't do. You're just never going to be able to make 
a high power tube amplifier that weighs two pounds and you can put in a cigar box. Right. You know, it's just not in the technology. Yes, you I mean, in theory, you could replace the power transformer with an active power supply. And there was even one company that did a very trick thing, uh, very roundabout, where they take the output of the tube and they run it into a, 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 trans, you know, a high voltage transistor and they run it through a small high frequency transformer and then they unfold it at the other end and it's supposed to be a replacement for the big heavy output transformer. And, you know, wonderful piece of technical work, but like, you know, you don't really have a tube amp after all that. I mean, <laughs> or if you do, you know, whatever is making it good, you could get there so much easier. Right. Which is where I come from. <laughs> so, yeah, so, was, you know, I figured if we're going to do, try to make a new, you know, you know, a nice new brand of guitar amps, you know, they should at least be different than what's out there. And, you know, what's out there even today, by and large, you can get, you know, fairly lightweight amps that don't sound very good. Um, or you can get nice sounding amps, tube amps, that are heavy and not very reliable. But what we can offer using the technology I learned while making 40 years of power amps at QSC is that we can use the latest generation Class D technology and make very high headroom amps that don't weigh anything. And then we can use that headroom to get the voltage swing that tubes kind of have naturally. And, you know, but orchestrate it and, you know, make it do what, I, what you know, we think it should do with a lot of voicing and careful tone testing to get that kind of nice, warm, magic sound that just sort of happens in the best of the tube amps. Right. So did, did you guys start off or start to build more recognition in the bass world as for bass guitarists? Um, not really, although... Ironically, of course, that first amp I ever made, old number one, which came sure. back to our hands a few years after we built it, was a bass amp. Was. And, and uh, you know, and I played the bass, at, you know, at kind of an amateur level for some years. Yep. Um, but uh, we're finding that we are getting a very good reception to our bass products. But when I decided to, you know, uh, embark on this Quilter Labs thing, I had this pent up body of knowledge about making you know a really nice sounding guitar amp. right and I wanted to get that kind of done because um, in many respects a bass amp is a simpler problem in that um, I you know the um, um, it's a relative you know the modern bass amp uses a relatively conventional no, solid state like amplifier right uh, with a you know a normal damping factor, and you just you want it to have some power so it can you know move this move some air, and uh, and you've got you know more or less you know you, your your choice of tone circuits and whatnot in the preamp, and uh, but you know and then the speakers themselves, you know they're pretty straightforward. You know there's plenty of so-called box builder programs out there where you can enter your speakers uh, teal small parameters and it'll tell you how many cubic feet, what size port you need to get a frequency response of X and you can even see a nice chart and you can manipulate things. So, you know, it's a relatively straight ahead piece of work. Now, you know, not everybody knows how to make 
you know, a four pound 800 watt base amp. Uh, <laughs> but even that knowledge is out there now. And right. you know, there are companies that sell high power class D modules that people use in their base amps. And, you know, they're, they, they're not always quite as heavy duty as you'd want because they're kind of designed for consumer market. But, but, you know, but the companies I'm thinking of, they know what they're doing and the product plays well and it, you know, it's clean and all that. Now, I've got I've to gotta ask, now, when you started releasing these small, amazing, I mean, Bruce, I think Bruce showed me the first one. Yeah, I have, yeah. The, you have I guess, a prototype, right? Yeah. Yeah, you have one of the first, if not the first 101 reverbs ever. Right, right. Yeah. And, uh, and but, but they had other amps going, right. they're, they're these combo amps, and they're not all the same. No. But I, I mean, was, you know, you obviously have voiced them for different peoples or different well, purposes. Yeah. And, or, you know, this is one of the ironies. Or are, are they all the same? No, and, they, and I'm just my ears are. No, they, they they're not. Of course, <laughs> I mean, Bruce, you're a dummy. They're no. all the same, and it's well, that no, beer, no, no. And it's that North they, Coast beer that's getting to you. There are some underlying. Knows the product placement. Yeah. <laughs> there's some underlying continuities of design. You know, I mean, all right. You know, as a designer, I have. A statement to make, and right. you know, there, you know, the, there's some, um, um, not exactly voicing, but alignment of the power amp. Uh, the th one thing we do with the guitar amps is we deliberately greatly reduce the damping factor, which is actually with tube amps you had to do stuff to improve the damping factor. Their natural behavior was to have relatively low damping factor, which when you're making a cheap commercial guitar amp out of tubes like they did back in the day, you didn't do the things to make them really hi-fi, you just kind of let, let them fly. Well, it turned out that opens up the sound of the loudspeaker connected to it. It's, it's bigger and brighter and boomier sounding and everybody's happy, you know, it just feels like you're getting more bang, you know. Um, we have to kind of go a little bit out of our way to get that behavior in a solid state amplifier, even a class D amplifier. Um, but we have a, you know, kind of an alignment that I've used over and over again. So, and it, you know, I won't say it's the only possible alignment in the world that will get results, but it's, it's very usable and I can consistently, every time I do an amp, I sort of start at the beginning and kind of check everything. But I mean, as you get into the voicing process, that's right. where the thing is. Oh, so a bunch of different I almost like to think the 101 came out of me complaining. Well, oh. <laughs> well, the, you know? of course, there's a number of variables. So, you know, we, ma we made some early amplifiers, which uh, we still are, were an only Gen 2 of the Micro Pro, which was we do everything we could think of into it, uh, hoping it would sort of sell itself. And, uh, you know, the... Um, Eliminate all sales objections, right? You know, uh, um, <laughs> some of them are. Some, of course, a lot of people are a little bit, you know, um, st you know stymied by this. You know, uh, the overly many features on it. It depends what you're into, obviously. So we would start making simpler amps for the people. I just want a, one good sounding channel. You know, I mean, there's. Um, the speakers make a big difference. So, of course, we have a variety of speakers, which we also select with considerable, uh, you know, care. And, now, does know. that, do the speakers, are they different to what a tube amp would? No, you know? we pretty much rely on the same classic speakers that all the, you know, right. the, you know, big brands. So I could companies. use a quilter amp with my normal amp speaker. Absolutely. Right. And, okay. would, and I would dare say you'll find that it brings your classic speakers to new life. Wow. You know, I mean, 
a lot of what we're doing is getting stage-worthy volume out of relatively small speakers by providing more power. And one of the things that's happened in the PA world is high-powered speakers that are relatively small, like, like you know, um, shameless plug, QSC's K-series <laughs> loudspeakers. We have an 8-inch, you know, portable PA speaker with a 1,000-watt amp in it. And yes, that's governed, so it doesn't. What, it, what are those it. ones there? Um, that's a thousand watts too. Yeah, yeah. they're amazing. That's why I bought them because I was like, how small these are, and they're so loud. Right, yeah. and they're using the Class C technology that I'm, you know, that I basically stemmed off of to do the the quilter thing. Wow. Um, so we're using small, high-powered speakers, but you know, they don't. You know, when you play a small speaker next to a big stack. It isn't as loud, but we make up for it because we can provide all this extra power without the penalty of weight and heat and all that. Right. But mm. take one of our heads and put it on uh, 412 and stand back. Cause well, we have done really that. Rock. I mean, with the one I have. Uh, you, I was, when Bruce it. brought it in first, I felt it, and I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah, right. <laughs> Lich, I'm sure every guitarist does. And sure. we plugged it in, and I was I was floored. And we went back between that, my vibroverb, uh-huh. And I think another amp, and I was just, I was floored. Through my tally, I was getting badass country spanking tone. It just sounded amazing. Well, uh, it's a happy day in my life. There's a guy down in Oceanside that likes to do these occasional invitational amp shootouts. You know, bring your favorite amp, we'll line them up around the wall, and we'll all walk around and yeah. play them for a couple of minutes. You know, and somebody had a, a early coffin plate 50 watt Marshall. Uh, at a half stack and that of course it sounded great you know and, and it was in good order you know it all been retubed and everything so yeah everybody's just going oh this is so cool you know and just having a great time plugging Les Pauls into this Marshall and whatnot so finally uh, I said uh, before you pack it up just let me try something here and I took a 101 plopped it on top swapped the plug over just plug into that then you know their minds fell out because it was every bit as loud and you know ballsy and you know and and potent as the Marshall wow and man. you know and then you know and it I knew it would be because you know I, I mean I basically know what I've been able to do but you know their minds fell out that this yeah I mean but two, you know, two pound guitar cigar box yeah would, I mean you know, I do it. I have you know the 101 that I have and I just played it the other night on my gig you know in a really loud you know with a loud drummer yeah. and uh, in a bar that was very boomy and it, it took care of business great uh, I loved it and uh, I dare say that in some ways, because it has it speaks so quickly compared to the tubes, it does have like a, a, a less of a I guess you could say latency or something. There's like a it's got more presence. Yeah, that's so, that's an interesting fact. So I liked I liked particularly in a boomy room uh-huh. that that that's better, not worse. You right. know, in a deader room, you might want some of that latency just to to smooth out the sound. But I'm just like I'm saying my. 101 was what two pounds, I think. Yeah, and and, and, it, and it's powerful and it's got a, lot, a wide range of tone control. And um, I, you know, I'm just saying, like, yeah, you might like a, another amp a little bit more, a little bit less, and you know, that's all taste and stuff. But for the life of me, anybody who has a tube amp in the trunk of their car and plays a gig, you you need one of these just when your amp craps out. Yeah, <laughs> because your amp is going to crap out. You're going to hit a speed bump. 
Mm -hmm. Something's going to happen. Bad tube's going to happen. Something's going to happen. Someone's going to spill a beer. And, you know, and you can plug this head into your speakers and you're going to be very happy. You might not be exactly the same thing because they're all different, but you're, I mean, that's, I mean, it's, that's my biggest endorsement of this. You know, I use a lot of other amps and, and I love them too. But this particular thing, man, what you've built here is, is truly amazing. It was just, yeah. it wasn't a good amp. It was the right amp for the gig. Wait, are you, are you pissing off tube amp? guys all the well, time i mean i've never had <laughs> any come be, up right? and attack me but uh, uh i can't I help thinking, the trade shows. i can't help thinking we must have we must be putting it in because you guys are not only i mean okay you're making really small light powerful stuff but the factor is it sounds good and i think i think wasn't last name there was the name before where you showed me that what was that little pedal thing? Oh, it was yeah. like a Fender. Um, the inner block, which is now out, is a 45 watt amp and the pedal. And I mean, that was fucking ridiculous. I was like, there's no way. There's something, someone's pulling some bullshit here. That and thing's that pretty incredible, insane. man. It's pretty insane that you can go to a gig with your amp on your pedal board. That I think it's the happiest coincidence ever. It's a 45 watt amp and it weighs 0.45 pounds. And it sounds, <laughs> was it designed like a Fender? Or yeah, there's it? a Fender voicing on there and there's right. a Marshall voicing. And I should note too, um, since we were talking about 101s, the 101 Pat's talking about in the story is the regular 101 Mini, which has a Marshall style voicing in it. Bruce's 101 is a 101 Reverb. Same power level, but kind of more Fender in flavor. So, yeah, right. and, and I think I yeah. was, the, the shootout I'm, that I thought about was a 101 Reverb, oh, really? the Reverb turned down. I thought right. it was a Mini. It might have been. Uh, they, they, on the right settings, they both play the same dry. Uh, but you were asking about voicing an EQ. And, right. and that is, you know, we do spend a lot of time with each and every amplifier design, kind of going at it almost not, I mean, I, I start from what I know has worked in the past. But it always is amazing how much we massage it along the way. I mean, every design seems to have its kind of own little personality, and you're just kind of trying to get it to represent yeah. well for what it is. Right. Well, I just know that, like, I've got friends that have quilted. I, I went, went, remember, I went down to the oh, uh, yeah. to the showroom. We played a bunch of stuff. They played a bunch of stuff, and and I they were different, and they weren't what I was looking for. Sure. And then, but when you you said you called me and said I got this one, I'm going to send it to you. This is what you're looking for. Yeah. And you were right. You know, um, and I love it. And, and and like I say, regardless of what other amps I have, this is going to stay part of the suite because of 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 the obvious. You know, it's it's portability, it's reliability, and just. You know, it's really it sounds so good. You think yeah. about it. I mean, I think it a, lot is. Of, a lot of guitar it, players forget if it sounds good, it is good. You know, we get stuck in this mentality of does it sound like a tube amp? And it's like, wait a minute, we've all played a zillion tube amps that sound like crap. Yeah, it's not just the tube that's like, oh, make an amp, plug a tube in, you right. have good tone all of a sudden. Right. It's a that's, little more complicated than that. Oh, it's obviously more. Just and the same goes, same, same goes for just being. Uh, you know, I mean, we all. I mean, I guess Polytone started the whole thing. You know, with with with. Uh, yeah, especially in the jazz with, world. With well, just light, lightweight. I mean, compared compared to what we were carrying around mm -hmm. when Polytone came out, all of a sudden, we kind of gave up. I mean, it became a sound <laughs> of its own. But it was like all of a sudden we could carry an amp a block and not mm. die. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, Your shoulder's still intact. And, you know, and that really changed the game. I mean, my great fender that I have, mm-hmm. which is for sale, everybody, um, <laughs> I have a 65 Pro Reverb, and I got it for, I think I traded a Polytone for it. Wow. That was a good deal. Yeah, of course yeah, it was. Yeah, you came but, up on that one. <laughs> but, but, but basically, this woman couldn't get rid of it, and she couldn't carry it. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I, and I've used that amp now for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. And, and it's, I'm finally selling in many reasons because I got the 101. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and you know, I have, as a designer, the utmost respect and appreciation for that classic generation of Fender amps. I mean... I used to spend a lot of time philosophizing about, you know, the, uh, you know, national uh, styles of engineering, you know, so, you know, obviously the German style tends to be, why make it simple when you could make it complicated? (laughs) And, you know, the British like things to be very proper, and the French are off in their kind of own world, but, you know, their stuff can be brilliant, and it can be like, huh? (laughs) And... uh, and it, but American designs have always tended towards, above all else, the practical, and you know not always the most sophisticated, not always the you know sometimes you know the country gets off on you know the tail fin era you know I mean you know what was that all about? But you know meanwhile you know the cars were solid and and reliable and they would you know cover vast amounts of distance and you know without you know bre- you know be- breaking a sweat you know. And so, you know, that the Fender amp chassis is a prime example of that design philosophy. I mean, it's just brilliant the way it's built. You got, you know, a basic metal chassis. Okay, everybody had that. But all the parts are laid out on this kind of flexible, um, um, kind of glorified cardboard. It's a special kind of cardboard called vulcanized fiber. And they're all poked into these eyelets. So this thing was kind of did the job of a circuit board without it being a circuit board. And then they have all these little wires that reach out to the tube sockets. And it, the rumor had it that an experienced operator could build a showman in nine minutes, wow. uh, I mean, which I assume meant wiring it up. But, yeah, everything was pre-cut, and you just kind of poked one end here and poked the other end in there. And, and you know, when you'd done enough of them, you went back and soldered them all. Um, we took a Fender basement in on trade back in the late 60s when we were trying to, you know, do business out of our little shop. And the guy said, you know, we were just trying to close a deal. And we were 50 bucks apart. And, and he said, listen, I, you know, I haven't got the money, but you can have this basement. It's broken. It fell out of a second-story window, but maybe you can use the parts. And I look at it. The thing was like a banana. You know, it was bent and, you know, and, 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 and. But he said, I just want to make the sale. So I said, okay, deal. So we took the basement, and all the tubes had, were smashed from the fall, and the chassis was had like a, you know it was bent out of line by like three inches, you know. <laughs> and I I figured, you know, so I I, I took you know I we fished you know, the cabinet was kind of half smashed, but we sort of patted it in place and took the chassis out, and you know well I expected to see all wires ripped out, and it looked okay, you know. So I stomped it, stomped on it until it was more or less straight. And plugged new tubes in, turned right on, <laughs> and we we you know uh, straightened out the broken wood of the cabinet and put a little thin piece inside to hold it in place and glued it up, and we had a 
slightly used Fender basement that played just fine. <laughs> and probably well, unloaded it for a hundred bucks or something. When, <laughs> when my Fender doesn't go on, I plug it in, it doesn't go on, you know, I make sure it's plugged in. That's the first thing. <laughs> Second thing, I check the fuse. Yeah. yeah. And if and if all that's cool, I know that the bulb is burned out. <laughs> okay. You know, what I mean, that's, that's pilot a pilot light. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, that's about that's all it can be. You know what I mean? And that's the beauty of it, except for or a tube. Which well, then yeah, you're in you look at the tubes that they're glowing. You, yeah. You, you're getting something. Uh, it's it's yeah, it's a really cool thing, you know, and I mean, there's a lot of magic in all this stuff, but yeah. of course, you know, it's shit, you know, you play them, they all sound like you. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you know. For better or worse. Yeah, yeah <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. So, so we you know, that out. <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, we're, you know, our, our mission at Quilter Labs, well, A, is to try to have some fun, but B, to make new and good tools for the performing musician. Because you know, there really isn't anything like live music. When you, I mean, it's just kind of where it's all at. I mean, I I play at an amateur level, and it's just the greatest pleasure ever when you sit down with some some folks and you start something up, and next thing you know, you're making beautiful sound, and everybody's kind of in there doing their part. And you know, you know, maybe we have charts, maybe we're just playing something we all know. But it's, you know, you come out of that just feeling, you know, refreshed, you know, you've just done something nice. And, you know, as a designer, I'm lucky to have a part of that by designing some of the enabling technology for that. Yep. That's mm. awesome. Go, going back to that, what's the little pedal? The Interblock inter 45. I'm just, what would be some cool ways have you guys discovered to use that? I mean, besides just having it on your pedal board, so you plug sure, yeah. a speaker directly into that and you're good to go. Yeah, so you can plug Does it have like EQ in it? I mean, yeah, does it, it does. Bass it's and treble on it? So, just like your one-on-one reverb. Okay, so here, oh, okay. That many here's knobs, a, right? you know, here we are. Yeah. Oh, so it's fairly large. No, it's this big. They're tiny it's a, knobs. It's a double-sized oh, right. pedal. Yeah. Uh, my eyes aren't good enough for that. Okay, but I mean, it's the, it's the original. <laughs> They're in the same order. <laughs> the original micro block had three knobs, and it's a single size uh -huh. pedal. And the inner block is your typical four by four and a half inch double width, double wide pedal with five knobs and three switches. Um, but here's what I've seen now. So, all right, my ambition as a designer is you know provide combo amps that sound great, that people can play on stage and, you know, you get an ensemble sound going and, you know, and it's just like, you know, hearing a live band, whether it's acoustic or electronic, you know, but real sound is coming out of real places and mixing in the room and you're, you're able to focus on whoever's, you know, you're interested in and it's all great. But the reality is that more and more people are plugging into the PA now because PAs have gotten a lot better. Yeah. Um, thanks to QSC speakers, among other things. <laughs> shameless can, shameless yeah, plug. <laughs> He's good at that. I've <laughs> done this before. You see, see how Who's I did that? Who's got more plugs, QSC or North Coast Brewery? <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for, thanks for that one. We'll have to There's do a tally here. Yeah. <laughs> We're three to two now. Um, so, you know, uh, acoustic guitar players have been just plugging in for a long time now because a good modern PA actually does more justice to an acoustic guitar than you can probably get out of any but the most expensive guitar, standalone amplifier. Sure. Yeah. Um, and keyboards have been plugging in. And, you know, um, depending on the nature of the PA, the bassist might or might not plug in, if, depending on whether the PA has subs and all that to really support the bass. 
Uh, but the electric guitar has always been a problem because so much of the guitar tone that you get depends on the shaping between the amp and speaker. And you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, what kind of speakers do we use? I mean, the the modern guitar speaker, um, as as you know, uh, made by Eminence and Celestion and you know a number of other companies, you know that those properties have been kind of refined for fifty years, mm. be, just because of what musicians wanted. Technically, you know, they're terrible speakers. I mean, they're they have ragged frequency response and very little bait you know very little bass travel and the cones are stiff but they sound great because they shape the sound the way that happens to work for guitar players especially when you're going into overdrive because when you're you know when you're overdriving the amp and producing all those clipping harmonics there's a lot of fizz and grumble that's not really part of you don't doesn't sound good with the music right well those you know, kind of lo-fi speakers filter off most of that and just leave the musically harmonious, the harmonics that, that matter for the music. So, and allegedly, and with all due respect to the large amounts of research that go into these things, you know, the digital amp modeling is supposed to be reproducing that, but it, I don't think it it's... It totally isn't. I mean, yeah. I would have to say, again, with... I mean, uh, I, I guess it, I can't say totally. Is it? Yeah. The ones I have played yeah. sound like plugging into a bad PA versus and, playing a guitar. And, so this is getting, you know, getting I've the heard, block here. You know, one or two patches that I said, yeah, I could play that. But, yeah, 99% of them literally just, you know, don't sound good until you run them through something else to finish the job. And so, but the reality is that you know, in, in this day and age, more and more people are trying to either record direct or play in their bedroom or go into a console on stage. Right. You know, Las Vegas has silent stages now. You can't have an amp. I know. You know, churches are getting to be a lot like that. Oh. And I get it. You have more control when you when everything's run through one big system. And, and now that the systems are pretty decent sounding, you can be musically satisfied by those results. But you do need a product that shapes the sound as much as possible <clears throat> like you would get through a good guitar speaker. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the features of the Interblock. It's got a switchable cab sim that I voiced to sound as close as I could get it to a good representative 12-inch guitar speaker driven by one of our amplifiers, which, you know, do have a reputation for sounding good. Yeah, you probably didn't know at NAMM that that has a line out on it. You just heard oh, it from really? loudspeaker. That's why yeah. he's. That's why we're going to the story of plugging into the PA. That the inner block, um, in addition to being able to drive a speaker, interfaces directly with the PA with cabinets. So can you run? Can you run a speaker and the and PA the, at the same time? Yep. Yes. Wow, that's awesome. Or you could unplug the speaker. So does it function like a direct box at that point? Yeah. Yes. So, so, so it is a full-service guitar preamp with that's three EQs, which are switchable from a tone stack character to an active EQ character. Um, and, um, and it's got a it's got our full service Chewy overdrive. It's got you know a, a full range master volume, and then you've got a FR cab sim switch. So FR would be appropriate if you're playing using it for acoustic guitar or keyboards or something. Or a Helix kind of uh, thing. Uh, yeah. I would guess that even a Helix might benefit from the FR, but you can try either way and see what works. And then you, it'll drive headphones or line out. And there's a switch for that. 
And so it's really an all-purpose tool. I, you know, I would not recommend you count on it to be loud enough on a loud stage with heavy drums. But if you're going to plug into a PA or something, um, you're you're good to go. Good to go. Or a small, could you do a small club gig? Yeah, yeah. yeah. deluxe reverb. Right. Like yeah. Twenty two watt tube amp. Yeah. Right. It would be in that class. Your fifteen to twenty two watt. So not a lot of the one hundred and one. No. no, about half. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what does this retail? Two twenty nine. That's that's like a that's it's like a pedal. It's like you a get pedal, a whole amp. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You get a whole amp. It's so you could cool. have that on your well, pedal board. You have to speak. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah. you could have you could have a few of these on your pedal boards and run different like clean setups. Yeah. Different. Is, yeah. Are people manage, doing that? I like the way this guy thinks. I manage our so Instagram. Let's sell three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in fact, you need three. It's the bare minimum. No. <laughs> I, I manage our Instagram and have the fortune of seeing people's pedal boards and they tag us in posts. And yep. there's some pretty neat, elaborate get-ups that guys are doing with mounting these things for kind of wet, dry rigs all on a pedal board, and you can go to two cabs or you can go to the PA twice. You know, oh, that's two different awesome. inputs. Um, Personally, I have one at home that I have on my desk, and I hate computers, and I hate software, and I'm horrible at figuring out home recording, but I have this thing, I just plug it into my interface, plug the guitar into that, and hit record, because it's got cabinet simulation in it, and then I have like tangible knobs. I'm an idiot with computers, so I need the knobs and switches to turn, and yep. it makes it easy. Wow. Nice, yeah. Well, the sound was amazing. I was, I, that was the best thing I saw at NAMM that, that year, Thank and you, you were like, just, hey, check this out. Because I don't think it was released then. It was it no, hadn't come out. Probably it was a year before last, a sneak yeah. preview. Yeah. yeah, I think it was a spray-painted box with a paper label on it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, <laughs> that's by far the best thing I've seen. That was insane. I'm well, glad you I, liked it. It's doing we, well. We did a rollout party in about a, almost a year ago now, right? Yeah, wow. A block party, how time flies. Um, but we did a little... We played a little trick on the audience. We invited all our friends and set up hay bales and had kind of a western swing get together. And we had a line, a back line of amps set up, all, <laughs> all plausible quilter amps. And everyone, you know, we had an upright bass and everyone was, I was plugged my lap steel in, you know. Everyone was playing and getting this great sound through a nice full service uh, QSCPA. <laughs> and then uh, at the end of our set, we made the big reveal. All those amps you think we've been playing through, they aren't even on. It's all been through interblocks and the PA. Yeah. And as a performer, I was getting everything I needed to get to hear myself through my own monitor, uh, you know, and is getting about as good a sound as I would ever expect to get in a semi-chaotic stage environment with them, who knows how they're miking it or whatever. Uh, you know, I did not feel that isolation or sense of artificiality which you were kind of referencing earlier as kind of part of the wow. you know digital into PA experience right so well, now, how do they sound when you crank them like they sound good it's, yeah. so you you can get some solid gain out of it and uh, Chris who's, who's not here the CEO is real picky with gain tone and we spent a lot of time dialing it in with the cabinet simulation and the gain turned all the way up so it wasn't fizzy Wow. It does the Marshall kind of, you know. I got I got to get me thing. one. They just sound amazing. That's just so cool. Yeah. So cool. I mean, we it's a great tool, uh, you know, and you know, every, you know, if you don't want or can't afford a 101 in your gig bag, you should have a interblock. Yeah. It'll probably get you through just on the speaker, but if you got a PA to plug into, you're, you know, you got you that as a backup too. too. Right, cuz I don't think my 101 has a uh, 
No. It does direct not out. have a good direct out. It has a headphone out you can use, but it doesn't have cab sim. So yeah. that's one of the later developments that we're now working into all our new stuff, mm -hmm. is everything we make from here on will have a nice headphone cab sim, you know, right. cab simmable output, which will be yet another nice little brick in the, uh, in the recipe, cool. if you will. Man, yeah. that's good. And the one, the one you brought today, which is going to be, I believe, a, a giveaway. Yeah, for yeah our raffle. Yeah. So this is the one-on-one mini reverb. This is Bruce's amp. Is it not the, his personal one, but that's the same one you play. It's the same thing I play totally. Yeah. It's no changes. No changes. Yeah. That's the exact amp you have. Wow. So the deal on that is, it's got an actual tone stack EQ section right. for all its. For, you know, for for good and for better and for worse. <laughs> the better is that it's a very familiar sound. You slips right on like a comfortable shoe. Everyone that's ever played a Fender and who hasn't yeah. will yeah. will get it right away. Uh, for offbeat things like maybe my lap steel, I get a perfectly good sound through it. But I rather like our you know our active EQ bank, and a pedal steel player might well prefer the active EQ setting which is available on this. Uh, no, I'm sorry, it's available on the interblock. Mm -hmm. uh, the 101 reverb is dialed in to be that perfect 50 watt Fender replacement. And, wow. and I would say and, and, and it I'm does very, happy very well. I'm very with happy with it. I do notice some difference. You know, I gotta admit it's not the same, but yeah. in, in, in some ways better, in some ways not the same. Right. Which you know, in some I'll, ways not as desirable. Depend I mean, for me, different flavors. the room. Yeah, the room is really the wild card here. Right, you know, and, and you're, you're, and in and a certain kind of room, you're not going to get a sound. In another kind of room, any amp's going to sound almost good. You know, and then sure. and then certain amps are better in certain rooms, and and that's just just the way I, I you know, and then certain settings. I mean, God, you know, you play solo versus with a loud drummer. I mean, right. you need a whole different parameter yeah. of things. And I, I've I've had a lot of great times with my 101, and whoever gets this is going to be a lucky person. Awesome. We are going to be giving it out to one of our Patreon. All right, oh, wonderful. Nice. Um, at the end of the day, you're you're a gigging musician, and the sound difference between, say, uh, having a boutique amp that weighs a ton, and this thing that slips in your computer bag, basically, yeah. that's the make or break right there. Right? I mean. I kind of feel like it's negligible. I mean, I mean, things sound different. They but, sound different, but different if you're doing be better for some seven nights a week and different gigs, and you're lugging your gear around, by the end of the week, you're gonna want to use this. Thing. Well, <laughs> like, yeah. and I'll say this: my younger brother, the one I mentioned earlier, is yep. kind of got me into building amps. You know, he has been a tube snob his whole career, and I <laughs> built him a custom tube amp with some very interesting properties that he played for forty years. And he never thought he would, you know, have any reason to change. But of course, I was showing him, you know, what we were up to with, you know, with the Quilter Labs project. He plays a Micro Pro and an extension cabinet. Wow. And you know, yes, he put a JBL in his extension cab because he did, likes to do this. He uses it for his uh, surf stuff. Yeah. Uh, but he says I'm getting everything I want out of it. And sure, nothing, no two amps are ever quite the same, even of the same model, really. Um, I mean, I think our solid state stuff is very consistent from one unit to the next. But, you know, tube amps, you know, the tubes are fresh, they're old, you know, they all, you know, they, they're constantly evolving. Um, the solid state 
has a certain direct quality uh, that uh, is probably because it's a transformerless circuit. The transformer is an important part of the tube amp's tone shaping, and it can be good and it can be bad. It does sort of round off the sound a little, which in most cases is good. It's got a certain growl on the bass, which is usually kind of fun, uh, but it's uh, but it does kind of set the sound back one little step. One right, it's a latency is what I call it. Yeah, because I mean, yeah. there's a big difference. I mean, this, you know, and I like when it speaks qu particularly in a in a boomy room. You know, mm -hmm. God, it's great when you or you're outside. Yeah, you know, and you don't have to kind of go looking for your sound in something. That's that's a solid state quality that's really attractive. But then you get into a room that's particularly dead. A recording studio, mm -hmm. and then sometimes that gets a little like a little fast, too much in your face, you so, know. I mean, and I mean, that's we just know better. I right. mean, if you're a professional, you know better, you know how to use it. But I have used the 101 in the studio numerous times and had great, great times. Mm -hmm. 